0: Hi, I'm Caleb. And I'm Elise. And you're listening to Happily Scaried, a horror podcast for newlyweds and nearly deads. And Elise, what are we talking about today?
1: Today we're talking about Don't Breathe Two, which just came out in theaters today, Friday the 13th. We will also be talking about Don't Breathe 1, because I, I guess you just kind of have to if you're gonna talk about two.
0: And so we went to go see Don't Breathe Two. Perhaps one of my favorite movie titles since Brahms, The Boy 2, for being the absolute silliest thing I've ever heard. Um, But we thought about coming home and watching Don't Breathe after it because we could not remember a lot of what happened. Well, here's
1: what happened. I said, Caleb, do you remember the first one or do we need to watch it again? And you said, I remember it. And then when I said, well, what happens at the end? You said... I don't know.
0: Yeah, I didn't remember it, like, at all. Um, you just didn't
1: want to rewatch
0: I, it. Yeah, I think that's really what it was. <laughs> In fact, when we got home, we were kind of like, oh, well, let's watch the first one, because I feel like the way this one begins, Don't Breathe Two begins, you need some background and context. And well, we, then, we were
1: trying to figure out if it connected to the first yeah. one or not, and we couldn't remember. And
0: so I didn't want to watch I didn't want to watch the first one over again, so we went to YouTube as we want to do, and we looked up one of those explainer videos that usually gives like a good summary in the most annoying voice possible. From it's th-
1: always the most annoying voice.
0: Truly, just everybody talks about YouTube film criticism how bad it is. It's it really is a nightmare. It can be very helpful in a utilitarian sense only if you want to remember basic plot points.
1: youtube YouTube-itarian.
0: YouTube-itarian, but it is not film criticism. Anyways, as it turns out, these movies are less connected than I thought they would be. But one of the things that we want to do is to give you a rundown or a synopsis of what these movies that we're going to be talking about are about. And so, we're going to be talking about Don't Breathe 2. And, you know, I want to become a film critic one day. I don't know if you knew that about me.
1: I did not know that.
0: But not like a normal film critic. I want to become one of these YouTube film critic people.
1: Mm. Uh, so you will change your voice then?
0: Yeah. So that's what I think my sole qualification will be, is that I can do like a decent YouTube film guy voice. Gotcha. And so I want to give that a shot. So we're, we're going to read you the Letterbox synopsis of Don't Breathe 2. But
1: And then you guys can let him know if he should quit his day job and become a YouTuber.
0: Yeah, I have the voice for it. I'm not sure I have a face for it. But <laughs> I
1: think we have the face for radio. Yeah. Which is why we're doing it this or way. Or podcasting. Right.
0: Because it's not 1993. Well,
1: come on. Radio so, still exists.
0: don't breathe too. This is the synopsis. The blind man has been hiding out for several years in an isolated cabin. And is taken in and raised a young girl, orphaned from a devastating house fire. Their quiet life together is shattered when a group of criminals kidnap the girl, forcing the blind man to leave his safe haven to save her. What do you think?
1: Uh, good.
0: Pretty terrible, right?
1: Yeah, I really I think hate that's how
0: those guys sound. I don't know why they do it that way, but uh they and, all seem and to do, do it. Why do they
1: all do it that way? Do they have like a YouTube convention? And they kind of make a universal decision. Like, we can't have variety. We all have to speak exactly this way.
0: It's astounding. I don't know if it's a Zoomer thing. I feel like a lot of the film critics, quote-unquote, we see Mm. are Zoomers. Film reviewers is probably a more appropriate description of what they're doing.
1: But also, we love them. I mean, we appreciate what they do.
0: Some of them are really good, actually. It's just
1: hard to listen to it and
0: it's hard to look at the funko pops in the background that's another yeah. big problem i have with it
1: now that's is that a universal issue or is that just the one guy we keep watching
0: maybe it's just the one guy we keep watching mm-hmm. and we'll, he'll remain nameless because we're, we're not here to drag anybody we're no not i mean
1: we've actually watched a lot of his stuff and we found it to be helpful
0: yeah again good for plot synopsis not really for any sort of anal- analysis but to be fair We're not really film critics ourselves, and we're not really here for in-depth analysis. We're just talking about movies, so maybe we're not that different, actually. Hmm. Good point. (laughs) Anyways, so that's Don't Breathe Mm Two. At least you want to get into it.
1: Do we need to discuss Don't Breathe One first?
0: Nah. Let's just talk about Don't Breathe Two.
1: And like, mix it in as we go. Yeah. Okay. That's me rubbing my hands together.
0: Okay, so my question for you is, how would you like this movie?
1: I liked it okay. I had a good time. But I do think that it's less quality than the first one. I think there was a lot of interesting things the first one did that I was hoping... We'd see again. Uh, the first one was kind of, kind of revolutionary for me at least, because it was the first movie I think I really saw that lacked sound mostly. Yeah,
0: sound design was a big deal in the first movie,
1: right? Like, but they, not so
0: much in the second one it seemed. But
1: like. it felt like they literally just put a boom like in the actual room that they were in. And just, like, you could hear every little creak.
0: In the first one, and you mean?
1: In the first one, yes. Yeah. A little creak and breath, and if someone, like, lightly, like, tripped over or whatever. I mean, it just felt like you heard every single detail of that room, which was just incredible to me that I that I felt so much stress.
0: And the first one is called Don't Breathe, because it's about three kids. Some of them have maybe good reasons. Some of them don't. That break into this dude's house. But Norman Nordquest, No, Norman Nordstrom. <laughs>
1: Nordquest, Nordquest. Okay, that's his I don't his know where name. that
0: came from. Norman Nordquest. He's Nordquist. Norman Nordquest Nordstrom. Oh. It doesn't matter. And Triple some N. stuff they call him the blind man. Some stuff they call him Norman. Played by Stephen Lang. Who was coming to some money since his daughter was killed in a car accident. He's gotten a settlement from that. They found out about it. And they all live in Detroit. He lives in a dilapidated house away from anybody else. And so they think, oh, well, we can break in and steal stuff. He's a blind guy. He's down on his luck. It'll be, he'll be an easy mark for us. But the twist of the movie, of course, one of the twists is that they go in and realize this dude is an ex-Navy SEAL. And although he can't see, he can still kill really efficiently. And he can he's like Daredevil. He can hear things better. He can smell things better. He can just sense things better. And so the movie is called Don't Breathe because that's what the characters are trying not to do. Because this guy can hear them and find them. He's just like a superhuman in that way.
1: Yeah, basically he's at an advantage because it's dark. It's the night. I think he ends up turning the power off anyway. Whatever. So they can't see but he never can see anyways. Yeah. So, he's already prepared.
0: And they make a line about that in the in the the second movie where he's like, "You can see things through my eyes now" or something like
1: you're, that. You're you're about to see what I see what? and then he pokes uh, his eyeballs. Uh, out.
0: But I guess what Stephen Lang's blind man or Norman Norquest Nordstrom is we like to refer to him. Mm-hmm. Which Norman Norman Nordstrom is the character's name. Yes. Most insane name I've ever heard. Right. Since Thurman Merman from Bad Santa 2, which Mm -hmm. was the little kid. But that was a joke. And this is not a joke. Anyways, um, he says... Maybe
1: that's his trauma, though.
0: Ah, yeah. Maybe he
1: got bullied.
0: That's why he joined the military. From being
1: Nordquest.
0: That's why he became a Navy SEAL, because he was running from From his bullies. Yes. And his trauma. Sure. Okay. And so he hates when people try to steal his money, because... He got his lunch money stolen all the time as a kid.
1: Oh, right, Uh, right.
0: Okay, so we're making up the backstory here. Right. That seems to fit fine with the first movie. But again, called Don't Breathe because there's hardly any music. Every creak, every breath matters so much. And you hold your breath with the characters in the first movie. So it's inventive in that way. And as I recall later in the movie when the lights go out... They switched to kind of like a night vision mode. It's not the like green, you know, kind of ugly, hazy thing that we're used to seeing. And I think the Blair Witch Project may have done something like that. But
1: it is the look where your eyeballs just turn black.
0: Yeah. So it's really creepy. uh, But it felt visually and sonically innovative in a way. And that's why it did so well at the box office. That's why it was a critical success. And that's probably why they did a sequel. But... This sequel lacks so much of what made the first one interesting.
1: Yeah, it basically has the same guy, main character, and that's it. That's the only similarity, really.
0: The thing that's also complicated, and again, we didn't watch the first one beforehand. Elise offered to do that, and I said, no, I remember it. Of course, I didn't remember it. No. But it's very clear from the first movie that this guy, this blind man... Nordquist Nordstrom, whatever his name is, is a bad guy because not only is he murdering people that entered his house, which we could we could argue about stand your ground laws and all that stuff, but we won't get into that. But you but come we're not to, a
1: law podcast.
0: We're not a law. We're not a law podcast. We have no legal knowledge to offer. But what we do come to find out is that although this guy has a sad backstory, including kids beating up. Kids beating him up and taking his lunch money. And more child.
1: importantly, his daughter being killed in a car accident. His, but, you know, that's that's just
0: that's, on the side. That's, too, that's, a, that's troubling, too. But the most troubling thing is we find out the woman that killed his daughter in a car accident, he's got captive in his basement. And worst of all, he has artificially inseminated her with his own child. And so that's in his crazy twisted mind that's how she does penance mm-hmm. he says that he'll let her go but she doesn't make it out alive out of the first one and neither does his new child so the movie shows that he is a villain he's a bad guy but now the Which movie is kind of
1: like the the M Night twist
0: it's the M Night twist yeah but when we went into this movie tonight wondering how they were going to make this villain into a full 90-minute movie, we found that he's kind of an anti-hero in this one.
1: Well, he has purpose this time.
0: He has purpose this time, but it's kind of a weird, conflicted purpose. It is, yeah. So the plot of this one, essentially, is that it takes place eight years after the first movie, but at the end of, or rather the beginning of Don't Breathe Too, we see him out for a stroll and there's a house on fire, and he finds a little girl on the ground, and it cuts to them eight years later, training in the jungle. <laughs> the jungle. I say the jungle. It's 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 Detroit, so it's abandoned and dilapidated. And I can say that because I have family from Michigan in the Detroit area. Hey, you do too. Yeah. We both do. So we are second-generation Detroiters, so we can talk We, we can so talk crazy.
1: trash. I've never thought of myself as a second-generation gen- Detroiter. Yeah. And That's w- hard to say. And we
0: live in Atlanta now, or the metro Atlanta area, which is also crazy and dilapidated in some areas. So we feel like we can speak about this as people that live through it.
1: What if I went around, though, introducing myself as a second-generation <laughs> Detroiter?
0: <laughs> like you're an immigrant to America. Right. Um, and you know, Kathleen Madigan, the comedian has a great bit about this, where she goes on like a USO tour and entertains the troops in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and Iraq and wherever this was years ago. And she asks them about what they're doing. And, you know, of course they're saying that they've invaded this area and they're trying to establish democracy. That's a whole another political spiel. We don't want to get into. No, thank but, you. But the whole point is that, and she jokingly says, well, why don't we invade Detroit? Because oh. it's that bad. Anyways, so to get back to the main point. So they're training in the woods. He's training this little girl that he found and is now raised to be his daughter, which is what he's always wanted. Um, and he's being cast as kind of a sympathetic, tragic, fatherly figure. And that's a baffling choice, I think, considering that he was a kidnapping rapist in the first movie. And so what do you make of that? how do you how do you think about that?
1: Well, it's difficult. I'll say that. Um, I think that you seem very quick to say he's immediately this like loving, doting father, and so you're confused by that. but I kind of saw it more as he I was nervous for the girl I thought. Oh, she clearly doesn't know who this guy is. She's been manipulated, possibly kidnapped, or maybe he had success later on and did raise his own child. And she has no idea that, you know, he's this monster of a guy. So I saw it more as I was intrigued to find out what was going on with her, how she got there. And of course she's, what is she, nine? I mean, Um, she's like,
0: I don't know. She's
1: completely innocent. So I in the think,
0: flashbacks, when you see her in the movie, when him finding her, she looks like she's, I don't know, two or three or something. She's old enough to where oh, okay. she has like memories, like uh, sensory memories of her mother, um, who you actually meet later in the movie. That was one of the scarier who, by the scenes way, to me.
1: Looked like Drusella from Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
0: Oh, that's interesting to me. I have the to hair especially. Oh, yeah. I can kind of see that. Yeah. Spike. Spike is the blind man going to take the girl into a dilapidated area in Detroit. Yep. That's my my Drusilla impression. I
1: really liked, I know people can't see it, but I liked that you did hand motions as well. (laughs) Yeah. They're just kind of floating in space. Uh,
0: We need to get back to Buffy. We started watching it like a couple years ago. We watched it a couple years ago, or started it. I've seen it before and loved it. I watched it for the first time in college, which was several years after it was on the air, and I was introducing you to it.
1: We'll have to do an episode when we get done with Buffy, Yeah, just kind of as a summary of Buffy.
0: We'll have to. Or maybe we should do a season summary. Oh, we can't now, because we're so... There's too many. There's just too many seasons, and we haven't watched the first two in a while. Anyways, so we meet this girl's mother in the movie. Um... And we'll get to that in a minute. but
1: Drusilla, and then her father was basically Mark Wahlberg.
0: Her fa- Yeah, and her father actually reminded me, you've seen the Batman, the original Batman movie, 1989. Mm-hmm. Not the original, because there's a 1966 one with Adam West. But the 1989 one, in the very beginning of that Batman movie, there's a couple of guys that rob a young family. And they go, and they sit on a roof. And they're talking about like you know, like uh, have you heard about this Batman guy? <laughs> he they feel like that her dad, who is one of the thugs in this movie, feels like he was carbon copied out of the Tim Burton Batman. Yeah. So that's the those are the the kind of villains of this movie. Um, but yeah, that's the point is that no longer are the is this dude. Is the blind man, is he the villain of the movie? He's the anti-hero now. Um, because well, it's
1: kind of the same as the first movie where you see that no one, no one's great here. Yeah. Uh, but the script is flipped in that he basically ends up sacrificing his own life for this girl to try to save her.
0: The nuance of some horror movies... And that's not something that a lot of them have, is nuance. But the nuance of the genre in in general is that sometimes it can hold a mirror up to ourselves. And we can see in the villains on screen, we can see human aspects of them and sympathetic traits in them. And so these monstrous people or killers or villains or whatever... We can find in our hearts to humanize these people. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of what Don't Breathe 2 tries to do with Norman Norquest Nordstrom. Norquest, <laughs> yeah, by the way, is not his real name, but it is Norman Nordstrom. But
1: So the M. Night twist of the second movie is that her real parents, who've fought off this guy and gone through all this trouble to get her back, which were like, oh, so cute... And once they get her back, they slowly choose to reveal to her that they're gonna essentially drug her, take out her heart, put it in her mother because her mother needs a new heart because she had heart damage in the fire. I don't know what that means, but
0: yeah, and, and so that's what we find out about them too. Like when you when we first meet the dad and the mom and their crew, um. Well, we don't meet the mom till later, but when we first meet the dad and the crew, we think that they are acting on behalf of a guy that the movie shows, like in a news clip or something in the background. Um, This guy is a human trafficker and he's kidnapping people and harvesting organs. And so when we meet these people, these henchmen that come looking for this girl and come looking for this guy somehow... We think, oh, they're just they're just you know out there on the meat market trying to stalk people,
1: which is a lot of work for one little girl or even the one guy. Yeah, I mean, just steal people the normal way. You go you, to Walmart. Yeah,
0: and that's what you wonder before you even know who these people are or that they have any connection to her. Um, you just led to believe that they're stalking her because they think, oh, she might be a good specimen for this thing. In fact, when we first meet, who turns out to be her father. Her real biological father, um, he follows her by getting into a truck that we see in the back of the truck is like an igloo cooler, implying that, oh, that's where they're gonna keep like her kidneys or heart or lungs or whatever. Right, right, And so that's what we think. And then when he and his crew follow her and her, you know, bio- not biological, but her adoptive father figure, the blind man back to his home and they invade it. And and that's a really intense and pretty interesting sequence in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you think they're doing it for this reason, but then it reveals that he's actually the father trying to reclaim her. And so you think, Oh, is he the hero of the movie? But then, as you said, the movie goes on and she gets taken away from the blind man and he's left for dead in his own home. And uh, the father introduces her to the mother and you think, oh man, is this just a movie about reuniting this family? You is could that...
1: tell something was off.
0: Yeah, you, but... they, they, they seem like dangerous, <laughs> honest people. Well, I
1: can't blame the parents for wanting to get their child back. That's kind of sweet
0: because it's their real kid, right? And so you th- and you know the blind man's a bad person, but then you find out that, like you said, the mother is dying because she has a heart condition that she developed when their house went up in flames.
1: Because they had a meth because lab in the basement. a meth
0: lab there. Yeah, exactly. And so this girl, another thing that's not totally explained, she's out on the street by herself. We don't know why she was out there by herself, where her parents were, why they got it alive but weren't with her, how the blind man could stumble across her and find her and pick her up and take her and not be noticed. A lot of that stuff is not explained. I guess you could consider some of that stuff as being borderline plot holes. Um, But the point is that she's reunited with her family. And then you find out that the only reason that they're reunited and they want to be reunited is because the mom is actually the grand meth cook behind the whole operation. And she's terminally ill. And they're going to harvest the little girl's organs, her heart specifically, so that the mom can live and continue Being a math cook. And so little girl is only an instrument. Imagine
1: being a parent and saying, Hey, I'm on my way out. I'm going to die soon. But um, why don't you just die instead so I can live another 20 years?
0: So obviously, terrible people. Mm
1: -hmm. But to take the heart of your own daughter is a really low level.
0: Really messed up. But it's a Walter White move if there's anything we've learned about.
1: I don't think he would have taken his own children's heart.
0: I don't know, man. He got really dark in the end I mean, he
1: got dark, but I think Really
0: manipulative. (laughs) Covered up child murder. He kidnapped his own infant daughter. Anyways, this is not a Breaking Bad podcast. And, of course, the blind man comes back. There's big, you know, elaborate fight sequences. He uses the dark against them. He kills people and, you know... I mean, that's the that's the big day movie. He basically
1: movie. goes ham.
0: He goes ham on him. And so he becomes the anti-hero again. And then, of course, the movie ends. Spoiler alert. By him getting mortally and fatally wounded. And this girl being rescued by him. But him confessing to her that he's not a good man. That he's killed people. That he's raped people. And that she shouldn't be near him because he's so filthy. But she does come near to him and says to him, let me save you. And then he says, you already have. And he dies. Aww. And so, I guess what we're led to believe is that him being able to be a father figure again has rehumanized him and has saved him from the terrible things that he's done. And the fact that he actually got this little girl to love him and experience love again. There is something metaphysical and spiritual about that I can vibe with. Sure. But again, it's really complicated by the fact that this is a horror movie, not about anything supernatural, not about anything spiritual per se, but is about a man that loses somebody and then kidnaps... And rapes people so he can get that somebody back. And then him finally being a father figure. And confessing and finding redemption. And that. So it's complicated. I mean, in some sense it's complicated. But in some sense it's clear cut. He's He's a terrible person. And so that is what the movie thematically deals with. But cinematically, it doesn't have any of those tensions that Don't Breathe had. It doesn't have any of the sound design choices. It doesn't have... You know, except for that one, we talked about this, the one tracking shot when
1: mm-hmm. those
0: goons break into the house and try to kidnap this girl, her father included. They try to find her, and she's hiding all over the house and using her training to cleverly outwit them. It's one long tracking shot, maybe three to five minutes, following this girl throughout this house. That's, But the, even to me, that didn't even feel that tense. Um, it, it, it was... Visually interesting, but it just didn't have the same power to it. And so overall, I thought this movie was, like you said, fine. Mm -hmm. Deeply problematic, though. And just not inventive like the first one was at all, I think.
1: Yeah. I could agree. So I think we should move into our gripes, likes, and tropes. Okay. Okay. Would you like to start us off with some things you liked? No, some things you griped about.
0: (laughs) Just to summarize, gripes uh, loses a lot of cinematic quality. Mm -hmm. um, And to go after a a redemption story that you're not sure totally earns it. That's my biggest gripe. Mm -hmm. Um, It feels like there's just a lot of plot holes about him being blind. (laughs) Essentially, he gets... He gets beaten to, I mean, till he's incapacitated. His house gets burned down. And they're out in the sticks. They're like out way far away in the suburbs of Detroit. Or, you know, close to the city, but not super close. Because we even see this in establishing shots. And then he uses one of their dogs, like an attack dog, and tells the dog to go home, unleashes it, and follows him all the way in the inner city. Somehow,
1: this dog just all of a sudden likes him now. This dog, after that was a, trying to, you know, mutilate him, that was
0: attacking him, likes him and takes him into the city. And what takes place in the course of I don't know thirty minutes? I would
1: have loved a little montage of him and the dog walking through the street and would like have some been very sort of cute. upbeat. Yeah, uptown girls. Him
0: bonding with this this attack dog.
1: Yeah, like playing fetch, teaching him to roll over.
0: That might have been clever. Yeah. Him stopping, sharing a hot dog, and oh, then laughing yeah. about it being a dog. Right. And him, him
1: doing the face like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah,
0: oops. It could have been a real Turner and Hooch scenario. Yeah. But, and so, so there's there's plot holes like that. It feels strange. He gets, he's all the way far, far away, and then he makes it halfway across this big city, blind, and, and to a place where he's able to, like, disconnect power and sneak up on the people that kidnapped this girl, um it's kind of insane. So those are my gripes.
1: So I really only wrote one gripe because, uh, you know, we're watching this in the theater and you can't really type during the movie. Uh, But the thing that uh, stuck with me the most is the cheesy dialogue. We had a lot of bros. And any time that there's a lot of bros. Oh,
0: bafflingly bad dialogue at times.
1: Like So basically the line was said, he's a Navy SEAL, bro. And then the other guy goes, "A dead Navy SEAL, bro."
0: We laughed out loud, like scream-laughed in the theater because that was so bad.
1: Well, you were I think you were taking a little sip and I think you kind of choked, which also made me laugh harder because <laughs> why? Why did that line need to be said? And this was also said after this guy's mouth was glued together. Yeah. And these were the words he decided were essential. Yeah. He said, as soon as I get that glue off my mouth, I'm going to say, he's a dead Navy SEAL, bro.
0: Yeah. Just the ugliest, grimiest, most disgusting henchman you've ever seen. And they say really dumb stuff, too.
1: Yeah. So, I just thought the dialogue, the it should never make you laugh Yeah, when it's not supposed to.
0: Yeah. So, what about your likes? We'll start with you first.
1: Oh. Um... I didn't super know what to say for this because I really was comparing it so much to the first one, which I liked a lot more. So I guess that if I had to say something that I liked, it would be I liked that there was a redemption story at the end, not because I think he deserved it because none of us do, but just because... I mean, I really can't knock anybody for sacrificing their life to save someone else. I mean, that's got to be good, right? Yeah. Got to appreciate that.
0: I think that would maybe be part of my like, too. Okay. Is that I appreciate the gesture of them trying to make an irredeemable figure redeemable. Mm -hmm. There's something about that that's admirable. It's tough to swallow with this guy. Right. I remember watching I think the Camp Crystal Lake Memories which is like the insane like 6 hour documentary 8 hour documentary something ridiculous about all the Friday the 13th movies and essentially what they say is that somewhere along the line people started cheering not for the people running away from Jason but for Jason himself <laughs> So, there's something that we can when we know somebody's a bad guy or 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 the villain or the antagonist or whatever, but he's the center of the story. it's maybe just human nature to kind of map yourself onto that person and see things through their eyes. And so, no pun intended.
1: Oh, this is right.
0: a blind guy we're dealing with, right. And so I think I can admire that they really trying to do some serious moral reckoning with that. But I'm just not sure if it totally works or if it totally lands. Sure. And I'm just not sure they really did the real deep investigation they need to. I mean, spoiler alert, he dies in the end. And so there won't be a don't breathe three. There shouldn't be, I should say. Um, And so, but he dies, like you said, saving this person that he loved. Um.
1: And something I said to you in the car was that we have to assume he's been he's had this girl for eight years, so he hasn't been doing any of this monstrous stuff for the last eight years. I mean, that's something, right?
0: That's something, but that's, again, not full justice. Anyways, these movies are complicated in that sense, and that's part of the fun of watching them because it gets you to really reckon with those ideas, really struggle with. Reality. We all have ideals of what a just and ordered world would look like. The reality of that, though, is often so far away um, from those ideals. So yeah, I can like that about this movie too. Also, is pretty entertaining. Just from a you know yeah. dumb Friday night horror movie. It's fun.
1: Dumb Friday night.
0: Dumb Friday night. Dumb Friday. N- I always say. Dumb Friday night. The thirteenth.
1: Dumb Starbucks. Dumb
0: Starbucks. That's now that's something we should talk about on the podcast.
1: That's a Nathan Fielder.
0: Nathan reference. for you. Great show. Yeah. Tropes.
1: Tropes. I don't have any entries on this.
0: I mean, they're also generic, like, you know, the the grizzled guy, you know, out for revenge.
1: Or just the, the criminals breaking into someone's house and they always look like they haven't had a bath in seven weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's all the tropes are there on the surface. There is nothing They're particularly... Only minor offenses, though. There's nothing particularly... And this is what's funny, too. I, I like tropes a lot of the time. And I think you're kind of disgusted by them. And so you say minor offenses, but to me, if you can actually live into a trope, I think that's like, <laughs> you know...
1: Well, my favorite trope is... He's right behind me, isn't he? Yeah. But of course, that's not usually seriously used in horror movies because it's more of a comedy aspect. Yeah. But that is one that I really do enjoy.
0: So uh, maybe the the revenge trope, uh, the the grizzled man sh- spilling his guts to his his daughter. Uh, you know, there's some stuff like that. I guess you could get, but there there's no particular scene i guess
1: well we're not going to make a full list of tropes and kind of like like check things we're not going to do that i think it's kind of a you know when you see it yeah yeah we'll just call it out as we go that's true we may have differing opinions on what is a trope so we'll have to see
0: yeah that'll be the fun of this
1: yeah so that was all your tropes
0: that's all my tropes
1: okay well what would you rate this film
0: I gave it two and a half stars on Letterbox. Okay. Uh, and my review, I guess I should look up my review. Maybe we can read our reviews. That could be a segment where we read our Letterbox uh, reviews.
1: I didn't review mine. Or
0: we read our favorite Letterbox reviews of this movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but mine was a very serious review, and took this. I take my reviewing job very seriously. I wrote this man told someone to breathe. Four separate times. And don't breathe, too. And so that's <laughs> yeah. the reason why I gave it two and a half stars. I
1: forgot that was actually going to be under my likes. I forgot to write it down. I liked that he's, he vacillated between saying, don't breathe, and then literally saying, breathe.
0: Yeah, this movie, honestly, was a movie more about breathing. because I was
1: going to say more than you expected, but you should expect that.
0: You know, think about it. There's that one scene where the girl locks herself in a cage to get away from these henchmen. I think he screamed, like, get in the box or something like that. The the blind guy said, get in the box, to this little girl.
1: I thought she just did that on her own to get away from that guy.
0: Maybe. I might be misremembering. Because I think
1: he was outside of the house looking for his dead dog, which we'll talk about.
0: Yeah, but he came back in the house by that point. Doesn't matter. But the point is, she locks herself in this little metal crate... And, um, and the guy that's trying to get her out is flooding it. By the way, this is also something. There's a plot hole that doesn't make sense. If they're really there to get this girl who's this daughter and they need her alive, I guess her heart is what they're looking for. Why this henchman who knows that whole plot is going to drown this little girl and then maybe electrocute her?
1: Well, when he starts to fill it up with water, he says to the girl, like, You gotta come out or else you're gonna drown. So he's doing it just to threaten her, so that she'll open the door herself since he can't get in
0: Maybe. But the fact that he gets that close to accidentally frying her seems to like lose the but you know, he's a dumb henchman, so maybe that's the
1: Yeah. But of course the the point with introducing the live wire was so that NordQuest would just put his hands up and say that's fine. I give up. I'd rather the girl sure. be safe and they could take her on their way. So, of course, he thinks he's manipulating and doing a right job.
0: I guess the broader point, though, is that there's a time where she's in that cage, that box that's supposed to protect her, and she can't breathe. And so she almost drowns, and she's saved in the neck at the time, and the blind man says, breathe, breathe, breathe. So there's that. And also, like you said earlier, he does beat up that one henchman out in his garage and super leaves him instead of killing him. He leaves him there alive, which was weird, Mm -hmm. Um, but he super glues his mouth and nose shut. And so he can't breathe. And so honestly, maybe it should have been called don't breathe to can't breathe. Don't Don't breathe breathe
1: unless I tell you to breathe.
0: Don't breathe to I'm going to electrocute you. Boogaloo.
1: (gasps) Yeah.
0: That could be your review. You could... <laughs> no, <Nah, laughs> That could be like your letterbox review. Okay. Anyways. Um, mm-hmm. So, those are our gripes, our likes, and a few tropes. Mm-hmm. But I do want to move on to our next segment, which we have entitled Scaredy Cats.
1: Yes. Now, are there any cats in this film? There's no cats in this film. No, sadly. But there
0: are two dogs. And... Although we'll focus on cats when we can. We're animal lovers. And so we'll point out when we see animals that we find cute and charming. And so there's a couple cute and charming dogs in this movie. Are they cute and yeah, charming? Yeah, they're they're scary at points. One of them is a Rottweiler. that's like a mean attack dog that belongs to the blind man. Mm-hmm. And the other one is... Maybe a pit bull, I'm not sure, or a boxer, a pit bull, boxer mix, something like that. Yeah, don't ask me. That belongs to... And don't breathe. ...these henchmen. Um, and we see a mean side of them, and we see a cute side of them. And the first one that belongs to the blind man, his name is Shadow, which is a great name. We have an animal named Shadow Facts. And that's the name of our cat.
1: Except there's no pause in between. Shadowfax.
0: Shadowfax. We just call her Shadowfax. Most of the time we call her Kitty. Or maybe sometimes we'll call her Shady. Very rarely.
1: I have said Shady Lady.
0: Shady Lady. Many
1: times. But not so much recently.
0: I think we call her Kitty. Yeah. Most of all.
1: (laughs) That's very original of us. So
0: there's Shadow. Who very tragically dies a heroic death. By defending...
1: Pretty quickly in the movie.
0: His family home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He gets distracted, and lured out in the woods. And we don't see it happen, but he gets shot. Mm-hmm. So RIP Shadow. Yeah. Apparently the same dog from the first movie, I think. Which I think is almost inexplicable. Because he would be ancient by the time... <laughs> Anyways. So Shadow. And then there's another unnamed dog that attacks the blind man. And he fends the dog off. Essentially, he scurries up in his attic trying to run away from this dog. Mm-hmm. And the dog climbs the ladder and gets in the attic, which is insane. And then he uses like an old metal bed, not bed frame, but a old metal like spring. I did and... not
1: know what that was. It
0: looked like a mattress without like a mattress covering over it, like without yeah. any fabric or material on it. And he. Blocks himself in a corner so the dog can't get him. And then later, he throws it on top of the dog. And that was kind of sad. Even though the dog's trying to kill him.
1: What's But so- then he
0: corners the dog with this thing. And then the house gets set on fire. And this dog that's been trying to kill him all of a sudden needs to be rescued. And he rescues the dog. And that's when they become friends. And the dog takes him all the way back into the city. And then there's actually a a kind of, there's one humorous, like intentionally jokey scene in the movie. And that's when they realize that the blind man has caught up to them. He's cut the power and they realize, how did he find us? The guy says something like that. The dad, the henchman says something like that. And then it cuts to a shot of the dog walking back into their dilapidated with a leash apartment with a leash. And he goes over and starts drinking out of his water bowl. And so that's a big laugh we all shared in the theater.
1: What's interesting about him and the dog is that he's without taking two thoughts, he's just killing everybody, you know, mutilating, gluing people's mouths closed, but he just cannot for the life of him bring himself to kill this dog I think he. I think maybe it's that he just knows that this dog is innocent. You know, humans are terrible, but the dog's just doing what he's told, type of thing. But I think that was interesting, too, that he just had no problem murdering everybody. And then when it came to this dog that was trying to murder him, he would try to just trap it and push it somewhere else so that he wouldn't have to. I mean, he had a gun, so he could have shot him at any moment. And there's
0: a scene, too, where he's pointing the gun at the dog and then. The sound goes totally out. It's supposed to be a dramatic moment where he's like, it's washing over him that this little girl is about to be taken away from him. And he's, you know, he's, he's struggling to survive. He's struggling to fend for himself and and fend off these invaders. And he's about to shoot the dog in a dramatic moment. And then he doesn't do it. And so... Yeah, it builds up more sympathy for the dog. Movies often do this. Horror movies are probably the only movies in the world, though, that sometimes when you meet an animal that's even a likable animal, you have no guarantee they're going to get through it.
1: And people will say they refuse to watch movies that will kill off the animals. I
0: struggle with watching cats get hurt in any way in a movie.
1: Yeah. I'm a scaredy cat
0: in that sense. And I was a scaredy cat for this second dog. I didn't want the first dog to die. I hated that. And I certainly didn't want the second dog to die. And the second dog made it all the way through the end of the movie. So that's...
1: But here's the question. Yeah. If you were in that situation and this dog was trying to take your life, could you shoot it?
0: I'm not sure I could shoot anything. I'm not sure I have it within me to do that. I just don't know.
1: You just let him kill you?
0: I mean, no. (laughs) But maybe. I don't know. I just really, I've never been in a life or death situation
1: mm-hmm.
0: with a dog before. Right. I think, no, I, I think I could try to fend for myself. I feel like there's been dogs that have barked at me or run at me that I, in my brain, I was like, I might have to kick this thing to get it to leave me alone
1: mm-hmm.
0: or punch it or something. So
1: you're fine with maiming it, just not killing it.
0: I'm fine with trying to survive. Right. But I, I don't want to hurt anything that so I don't have to. Yeah. And this movie was fine with hurting one dog, but not a second.
1: Right. Maybe he was just replacing his old dog with a new dog, the same as the daughter situation.
0: Yeah, it kind of felt like that. Like, it was like, this is, this is his new dog. This is his new leash on That's fine. I'll life. just take what I can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His it, new leash on life. His, <laughs> his new leash on life. Well, I guess that wraps up Scaredy Cat's. Or segment. Yep. No cats. We're at a zero cat count for this podcast. But mm. we got two dogs. Elise, is there anything else you want to say about this movie?
1: I don't think I said what I rated it. Uh, I have not rated it yet because I like to give it a two, three day delay. After I watch something. Yeah, you and I
0: are very different about this. It drives this. you
1: insane, I think.
0: I literally have to, the second a movie is over, rate and write about it. Mm-hmm. Because the further away I get from it, the the less I'll be able to say. But the irony is, none of my letterbox reviews are ever that serious. <laughs> it's always me trying to go for a joke. Unless it had a real impact on me. And then usually I might say a little bit, but nothing crazy substantive. Um, But I just have to get it out there immediately. And you can wait for days on end before reviewing something.
1: Mm -hmm. But what's helpful is I just go to your page to remember what date we watched it. (laughs) And then I just kind of do a little... I was going to say copy and paste. I do not paste your review into my review. But but then I can just You use it for
0: inspiration.
1: Yeah, I can kind of keep track of what we watched and when and then do it on my own time when Yeah, I'm fully processed.
0: So what do you rate this movie?
1: So I would probably rate it like a two, maybe a two and a half. I thought it was fun. I thought it was okay. But I cannot help but compare it to the first. And I really liked the first. Yeah. I mean, apparently I raved about it to you.
0: Yeah, I thought the first was okay.
1: I, I mean, I'm sure I loved it way more than you because yeah. I... It just it shook me up, man. Yeah. I thought it was so good. Yeah.
0: So overall, we would say this is like, you know, maybe two, two and a half star movie out of five. Yeah. It's so fine. it's fine. You know, if you're into these kind of movies, if you're a completionist like I tend to be with franchises. Oh, yeah. You'll probably. And if you enjoyed the first one, you'll probably enjoy a little bit of this one. But yeah, nothing to write home about. But I think that's what we could say about this movie. It's fine. It has no real reason to exist. It has some redemptive qualities, I guess. But it's also very deeply problematic in another sense. Yeah. Loses a lot of the cinematic magic. But that's what horror sequels are, man. They're just... Sometimes they have...
1: I thought you said horse sequel. And I was like, wait that's a second. That's what horse sequels what are did all about.
0: What we watch? Seabiscuit 2. No, that's what horror sequels are all about. They are sometimes have just magic moments in them that transcend even above the first one. But rarely do we ever reach the heights of the first movie. And so I guess that's all we can say about Don't Breathe 2. Yeah. Elise, if people want to follow along or find us or recommend something for us to watch or ask our opinion about something or comment or leave a question, whatever, where can they find us?
1: As far as questions, they can send those to happily scary podcast at gmail.com. I don't know why I'm announcing this. Cause you're the one that created all these. Uh, and, uh, we'll take anything. We'll take questions, comments, thoughts, prayers, definitely um, prayers, funny email forwards. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then, if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at Happily Scared Podcast. On Twitter, we are at Happily Scared. And did I forget one?
0: Did we say Letterbox? We did not. Look us up at Happily Scared on Letterbox too. Yes. Any place that I you type in it. Happily Scared, you should find us. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in for one of our first episodes we don't know when we're going to release this one exactly it's one of the first ones we recorded Um, but we'll have some interesting movies that we're going to be talking about in the not too distant future so I hope you'll chime in well that's all for now thanks so much for joining us and Elise do you have any parting words for our friends out there
1: yes we really hope that you live happily scary after
0: see you next time folks